realtors, believe it or not, would take a lower offer with clean financing and clean closing terms, like just straight equity coming across the table and a financing from a mortgage broker that they've heard of or that they know of or whatever, versus somebody coming in with like even even like hard money. They don't get how that works. But I'll bet you they would be they would turn down uh, a higher offer with more creative financing than that, which is a shame because I think that there's an opportunity to educate realtors on how creative financing options work. Welcome back to the Light It Up podcast. If you're new to this channel and you want to know everything about making money in real estate, selling, sales skills, building your business, or investing, then subscribe below, tap the bell for notifications so you can be the first to know what makes our great guests so successful. And we get calls and texts every single day from people just like you. So whether you're new in the business or looking to grow, reach out. We're happy to help. All right, guys. Today we have with us Matt Faircloth. Matt, thanks so much for spending some time with us. It is an honor to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Excited to go into this topic. And uh, if you guys do not know who Matt is, he wrote the book that is called Raising Private Capital. And we will talk about why that's important, but after the lightning round. All right. I'm going to hit you with questions here, Kiro. Matt, tell us what some challenges are that you're currently facing in your business. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, finding deals and and making the properties that we have that, that just have had some like you know weird turns perform properly. So it's like you know you, you end up playing like whack a mole a little bit. Of the couple dozen multifamily assets we have, we've got one that that's performing badly right now. So getting that property turned around and then also just finding new opportunities, guys, is probably the biggest struggle we have because it's kind of a funky market to be in right now. Yeah, without a doubt. How do you stay motivated under stress? Um, I remind myself that uh, that under every stressful moment I've ever been in my entire life, there has been a positive outcome. If I stay in it and I try and figure it out, if I don't, if I cut bait and quit, and that's where I lose. If I stay in and keep pushing for solutions and keep and just get back in the ring another day, then things work. And so I don't allow stress to get to me too much because I know that only through perseverance eventually things turn out successfully. So. I actually am not that stressed out of a person. Wait, John's a little high strung here, so I'm just kidding. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hit you with my favorite one. Do you have another one you want to go? I always like my question of um, what mistake do you continue to make over and over again? Second guess, my I, I miss, I, I underestimate what's possible for me mm. that I could do this, but I just try and do this, right? And so I also, I'm over optimistic on goals. Like I'll get it done this week. Yeah. Kind of thing, right? Like I, I owe my video editor bitters, videos I said I was going to give him two weeks ago because I gave him too aggressive of a goal. Mm. So I can be aggressive on goal setting on things and not as realistic as I could be. And that's just my inner optimist. It'll be fine. I'll get it done kind of thing. And a lot of times I don't get things done as quickly as I want to because I'm more optimistic and more aggressive than I should be. Got it. That reminds me I owe our video editor something. See, there you go. John's literally that way, but he'll stay up until like three, four, five o'clock in the morning, and he'll be obsessively trying to do it. All right, last question for lightning round: If you had to spend a day with anyone, whether it's past or present, who would it be, and why? 
Oh boy. Um, if I could spend a day with someone, I always, I don't know why I always think about Benjamin Franklin. I like these uh, Renaissance people that like kind of were involved in a lot of different things that, you know, he was a statesman, he was an inventor, yeah. he was an author, you know? So I come with Benjamin Franklin as an example. So if I'm able to pick anybody that's passed away from a long time ago, I would pick him. Kind of like to run by him, like the way things are going in the world today and kind of see what he thinks of that, you know, like he's just kind of a, like an instigator of many of a lot of change from yeah. a long time ago. So that probably, uh, yeah, I'll just say Ben Franklin. Do you think Ben Franklin would have been canceled if he had like a, <laughs> a platform? <laughs> yeah. He probably would have been. If Ben, if ben Franklin had a uh, Twitter account, he might have gotten it, it revoked. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Or were people just not as sensitive back then? True. Well, they. Yeah, we can go into that. Well, he was. He was in the town square. He was saying into the only megaphones that we that they had back then, whatever he thought about things. You yeah. know. And so I don't think that I, I don't know if people were less sensitive or whatever. I think that. The, yeah, it, people were less sensitive. You were able to speak your mind, but the world was a lot less weird and a lot less, a lot more simple back then. I think people were not, people were more naturally polite. Yeah, that you could say what you thought, but you couldn't just call somebody ugly or like like another political opponent just call them names straight up. Yeah, you know, yeah. like well, men yeah, couldn't I get pregnant were, back then, so that's yeah, <laughs> more natural, natural. People, people <laughs> were just there episode. was a there was a underground noise of politeness and respect for others yeah. that has dissolved a long time ago. That's a good way to say it. Um, yeah. So we grew up in real estate and we were always taught this notion that it's never a money issue. It's always about finding the deal. And if you find the deal, the money follows you or finds yep. you. Mm-hmm. Now, in certain points, that could be true. I think it is majority true. But why is learning the skill of raising capital so important? Because you can't just find the deal. It's true that if you find the deal, the money will follow. But you got to find the money before you find the deal in that you've got to at least begin your investor conversations, your private lender conversations, whatever it is, because the closing timeline that exists in the world today does not allow for you to go forge new relationships with people. You don't have that luxury. It's like, I'll just kick the can down the road and I'll close when I do. And that you've got to have those investors lined up and those conversations lined up and all that. Maybe not money in the bank, maybe not people with their checkbooks out or anything like that, but at least know who you're going to call when you got a deal. Yeah, um, That's how the money follows. And that's why raising private capital is important to begin before you start searching for deals, but maybe not necessarily for people to actually pull out their checkbook, but at least to begin the trust conversations and dissolve a lot of the boundaries that they may have before you need the money. Yeah. So that, that's why I think it's important. Yeah. I, one thing I would add on to that is that it allows you to think a lot bigger. Yes. Because if you have the capacity to raise money, then you're not thinking about the onesie twosie. You're thinking about how big can I actually make this? Unless you won the lottery, man, at some point, every investor I can think of, from Warren Buffett to Sam Zell to somebody just getting started in real estate investing is going to eventually need to use somebody else's money for their business. Everyone eventually needs investors. Everyone eventually is going to get diluted somehow or another by having somebody come and win alongside you or whatever. It can never be with your own money always, unless you want to grow, unless you want to play small. Yeah. Right. Say that, you know? <laughs> well, money's only created when there's an interaction or exchange between two people, no matter what. Yeah. So there is, it's going to be involving those people to, to, to play. Yeah. And I mean, you could build it with your own cash. Like I could go do a single family home, invest in it, take the cash flow, squirrel it away, flip it out, sell it once, sell, take the proceeds and sell it one day and save up my paycheck 
and then maybe eventually buy a triplex and then do the same thing there and then maybe retire when I'm 65 and have like a portfolio of four to five uh, residential units. Or I can get creative on my financing, start using private investors, start using private lenders, yeah. do the burr strategy, do all those things that allow for creativity and alternative ways to finance stuff. And maybe yet yeah, take in some investors and I could retire with a lot more than 10 units yeah. um, when I retire. And so I got, I have a lot more control of units and I've, I can expand a lot more quickly if I'm raising private capital. Yeah. hundred percent. So being majority of the audience is realtors. And a lot of the times realtors will end up finding deals. The limiting belief is that, oh, well, how am I going to do this? I don't have the money. And they end up giving it to an investor. If they even think yeah. that far ahead. They don't, sometimes they don't even think about doing it themselves. Yeah, They're they just, just give like, it to, you know, I, I was at an event at, um, it was an EXP event last week and Kyle Whistles was at the, you know, uh, was speaking. He's one of our sponsors at, at our, mm-hmm. at our brokerage. And what he said was stop giving the deals away to the investors. You need to be the investor. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. jumped in there. No worries. The, the, the question I have for you is someone listening to this saying, okay, well, how do I raise private capital so I can start funding these deals myself? How would you educate well, that individual? I'll go, I'll back you up even further, right? Yeah. Realtors, I think a lot of realtors believe the way the deal gets funded is with a traditional mortgage broker that, that expects you to have a W-2 job and reasonable amount of savings and everything like that, that that mortgage broker steps in and they provide one leg of the financing and then the buyer is going to have to write a check for the other leg of the financing. That is the only way a deal gets funded. That's yeah. it. Because I've talked to realtors a million times about other creative ways to finance a deal. Like, you know, you guys mentioned that you guys have interviewed Pace Morby, right? So let's use him as an example. I'm sure Pace on a regular basis has to educate realtors on how subject to works. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm going to buy the property, but I'm going to buy it subject to their mortgage. You can't do that. That's illegal, right? I mean, like all kinds of way you know, wacky stuff that comes in or whatever. And go even further to say, like, I've looked at properties that were free and clear. And I've gone to the realtor and said, hey, here's the deal. I'm going to buy it. But your client, your seller is going to finance the deal for me because they've got they've got this free and clear property. So how much money do they need now? And how much money can I pay them over time? Hmm. That is like a head exploding question to a realtor. Yeah. Like, no, no, he needs all the money right now. You know, yeah. um, anything like that. It's like, no, no, no. I bet you he needs a part of it now. Maybe let's just say 20% of the purchase price right now. I can get him that. What if I paid him the other 80% over the next five years? You know? The biggest thing a realtor could do, and and this opens it up to them too, to get involved on the investor side of the game, is uh, is for them to realize there's so many different ways that real estate can get financed for them to, and that allows them to do deals too, to participate and have those conversations about sub two, seller financing, uh, creative financing, installment sales, all kinds of crazy stuff that ends up coming in that we as investors know how to use all the time, mm-hmm. but realtors either don't know that it can get used in that and that will prohibit a bit on their transaction volume by like, by like roadblocking deals that an investor wants to get creative on, number one, but also maybe they can do more deals themselves by using the same creative tactics that we're using. There's no reason why I can buy deals with no money down, but a realtor can't do that. If I can do no money down, then they should allow me to do it as a buyer, but also they should be able to learn those tactics from us to do it too. Yeah. Yeah. I think unfortunately we're in a business where it's, there's so much ego and there's so much, like how many times have we all been in a situation where you're, you're maybe representing the buyer and you go to the listing agent and you say, you know, would your seller agree to this? Even if it wasn't even created creative financing, you're just trying to negotiate a home inspection item. Would your seller agree to 10,000? And their immediate response is, they'll never agree to that. It's like, well, like you said, roadblocking the deal. It's like, 
well, hold on a second. Let's just sort of work through this together. And, yeah. and they're sort of making decisions for the seller. So I can only imagine, I mean, I, I as a, a buyer's agent, haven't presented too many creative financing strategies myself to, to listing agents, but I imagine they're, before they even understand the what you're offering, a lot of people are just getting in the way. Yeah. I would actually say that realtors, believe it or not, would take a lower offer with clean financing and clean closing terms, like just straight equity coming across the table and a financing from a mortgage broker that they've heard of or that they know of or whatever, versus somebody coming in with like even even like hard money. They don't get how that works or and everything like that. And so I know you guys are realtors, so I'm saying this with love, but you know, I'm not talking about you guys, I'm talking about everybody else, right? <laughs> But I'll bet you they would be they would turn down uh, a higher offer with more creative financing and, and that, which is a shame because I think that there's an opportunity to educate realtors on how creative financing options work. One hundred percent. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking about the deal that you were telling me about that you were considering buying, Union City, three million dollars or so. It was an older woman, and she had no mortgage or no debt on it. I think is under my understanding, and we were trying to think of a creative way for Kiro to buy it. And I mean, if you think of somebody like that, they have a $3 million asset. If she sells it this year, right, her her gain is going to be $3 million in one year. But if you can find a creative way to do it in installments, like you said, or uh, maybe do some seller financing where she receives yeah. a portion of the money today and a portion of the money over the next two years, then it's actually a benefit to the seller if it's presented the right way or if that's what she would like, right, mm -hmm. to take that gain over a couple different years. Realtor, realtor ain't having it. But yeah, you're going to blow that realtor's mind. <laughs> but that's what's important about finding out what's important to the seller because it's not about the money. It's what the money yeah. does for them. And she was older and she wanted to set her son up. So like having something that was residual for him and he was an attorney that couldn't manage the property. So like yeah, having yeah. that baked in there was enticing for her. Did that go through? It's in the process of being worked out. Okay. There's some uh, issues with the attorney who's getting involved in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's another one. I, that, that'd be a whole nother episode yeah. on, on attorneys. <laughs> yeah, let, 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 on the attorneys jacking deals up. We could, we could uh, you know, tell a lot of battle stories on that as well. But, yeah. but it's also an opportunity to educate. It's an opportunity for an investor because like I've also had deals go through that were with some semblance of creativity or just some semblance of, hey, listen, trust me, I'll make it work with the realtors. You do that one time, they get it. They see you know what you're doing. And you've educated them a little bit. And obviously they're going to bring a deal that's got a little bit of hair on it to, to us investors first, because they know we know how to get creative on stuff. And, they, and now they know it works. Yeah. So it, it's a way to create a raving fan. Yeah. yeah. You said buy property, no money down. Yes. Can you break I us know. down that formula for us? Because <laughs> I um, think your average realtor who's hearing that is saying, well, how does that work? What? That means no commission. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no money down. What I'll, I'll redefine no money down, right? Because no money down kind of has a bad connotation to it. Like, well, it means like 100% financing. You know, that means, you know, 100% seller financing. That means, you know, a lot of risk. It doesn't have to be no money down. No money down really means no money out of the buyer's pocket. So that mm -hmm. no money down, I've done dozens of deals, no money down. But that means like my investors or my hard money lenders or whatever might have funded 100% of the purchase, including closing costs, right? Mm -hmm. To me, that's no money down. I mean, I walk into a lot of my closings with nothing but a pen and a smile, you know, because... I'm able to do it with some sort of creative financing piece on the other side of it. So people need to think about no money down in the realm of none of your money down. 
could be investors money could be hard money lenders money could be seller financing money or a combination thereof mm -hmm. yeah i'm looking at a deal right now let's just just use round numbers 400 uh purchase price is 300,000 needs very little reno and i think okay. it's worth like 425 or so mm -hmm. so i actually called my lender and i was like who do you know that i could go to for a good hard money lender because he's a traditional lender. And I was talking to him, I was yeah. like, who do I go to for hard money? And I've got a few references, but I was just wondering who his guy was. And I could hear his wheels spinning and he's like, well, how much do you need? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, uh, well, depending on how you look at it. If Your it's you say, right? Yeah, it was <laughs> like, so I was like, it could be like three or 400. And he's like, well, I could do that. I would consider doing that. And I'm like, all right. So then my, I go back to my desk and I'm, I'm running my numbers. And I'm like, you know what? What if I go to a hard money lender for the 80%, right? And then I borrow, I use my lender who offered to potentially do a deal if it if he liked it as my private lender. And now I'm yeah. sitting there going, because if I structure it that way, I could do four or five of these or wherever he taps out. Yeah, so to, 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 to set it up like you were talking about, right? Maybe you're bringing the majority of it from a hard money lender and the, and the down payment and some of your yeah. carrying costs from your private bridge. lender. Yeah. Well, I, okay. I'll, I'll go one step further, right? If, let's play creative financing bingo here, right? I've done um, a JV where it was, here's, here's what can happen in situations like that. A lot of times that money has to come in second position or has to come in behind a first position mortgage. We did a deal. We built three townhouses from scratch and I had a first position mortgage from my banker that gave us money to buy the land. And then he gave us the construction dollars on top, mm -hmm. right? But I needed, this uh, $890,000 project all in, I needed $210,000 worth of equity to do the deal, mm -hmm. right? I didn't want to write that check, so I got an investor. Here's what we do. So the investor, because the bank was not okay, their 600 and some change was going to be in the deal, they did not want to see a second behind it, right? They, they didn't want to subordinate. You know, you could, I've seen people get, you know, funky with this where, and this is a game you can play where you close on the purchase on Tuesday. Uh, everybody's nice and clean and you don't file the lien on the second until like, you know, Thursday or something like that. The bank's not at the table. You file it separately. And to me, that's out of integrity in that, that may come up yeah. and whatnot. So instead of me filing a, a, a secondary lien behind the bank later, what we decided to do was I decided to do a JV. So I had an investor that has that had a self-directed IRA, which is my favorite place to get money all day long. So he had a self-directed IRA, and I said I need two hundred and ten thousand for the deal, and I need eighty thousand dollars worth of just operating cash to make this happen. So I need two hundred and ninety all in. He had a self-directed IRA come into it, and I said I'm, I'm going to give you eight percent on your money, right? Um, and because you're taking a risk, because you're in second position, and I can't collateralize the property and give you a lien, but what I will do is it will give you percentage of upside. Mm. And I'll protect your interest through a JV agreement that I'm going to personally guarantee. And I'm going to reference the deal. I'm going to reference all the everything that we're doing here. His lawyer wrote up the JV agreement. You know, I pretty much signed my life away to this guy, right? And I and he put up 290k, and that came into second position. He gave it to me that he wired the money to me the day before closing to my company operating account. And we closed the deal, and in 10 months, we built those townhomes and sold them. Right. And this guy, because he got a chunk of upside, he got 15% of the profit. He got 8% on his money plus 15% of upside. Yeah. That guy made 45% on his money in wow. 10, in, uh, in, in 10 weeks, 10 months. Right. Wow. Crazy. So you can also give an advice. So what I would do is I would turn that around and say, okay, to your, your banker friend, I would say, okay, I'm going to go hard money first. 
probably 12 plus three, right? But then I'm going to get you to bankroll me and kind of be my partner here, be my silent partner. And it sounds like you got three to 400K you're trying to put to work. But what if I gave you a little slice of upside? I might've given more away than I needed to. Mm -hmm. The only thing is, uh, is that you needed to, um, you got to be doing flips. You can't do it on, I wouldn't, right. I would not do that kind of thing on burr deals. I, right. if, if it were a burr deal, I just pay them a higher rate of return and just right. make sure I can get them out at refunding. Yes, yeah, so you want to be able to get them out and so that you can yeah. capitalize on the upside. I don't want partners on small deals like that. Right. You know, I, I don't want, I, I don't need him because we can do, you're going to send him a check for a couple hundred bucks every quarter or something like that. I mean, I, I, I want to, I want him gone. It's a lot more like, clean. I want to be, I want to be, I want to have all the keys to the kingdom on, on a small bird deal like that. But for a big yeah. multifamily apartment building, it's a little different. But uh, for a deal like that, if you're going to flip it, he could do very well and bridge and allow you to do, like you said, four times more deals. Yeah. Talk to us about the self-directed IRA. Somebody I was, uh, was speaking with last weekend was speaking very highly of uh, Matt Sorensen. He said he likes mm -hmm. that, that platform because you have actually checkbook control. You can. As a, as, a, as a lender, you can sign up for self-directed IRA, checkbook authority. You can get a checkbook IRA, but you can also send it over to a custodian that wires the money out for you. I'm agnostic to how my investors are holding the money in their IRA accounts. I've got custodians I like to use, but either way, you can use a checkbook IRA, you can use a traditional custodian IRA too. Either way, here are some facts. When I looked recently, there was $10 trillion with a T dollars in IRA accounts, not 401ks, wow. just IRA accounts in this country, right? Of those IRAs, 96% of that money, 96% of that money is in some form of Wall Street-based investment, right? That means that 4% is in everything else, including real estate. And self-directed IRAs are in oil and gas. They're in um, gold bars. You can buy all kinds of cool stuff with your self-directed IRA. It is such an untapped resource. And so many investors I talk to show up and like, okay, I want to put 50K into your deal. I'm really excited about this. And I'm like, okay, why only 50K? Well, that's all I've got. I've got some reserves. Like, okay, cool. I don't want to touch any of that. Well, do you have a retirement account? Well, yeah, I do, and I, but I can't touch that. Like, but you can. What's in it? And like, oh, what, my IRA? Well, yeah, it's sitting over there with Vanguard. It's got like a half million in it, you know? And I'm like, okay, let's have a conversation, right? Yeah. Because and it's been making me 3% every year. And yeah. I, I know. How, how is it doing? Wow, well, it's actually down this year, that kind of thing. And it's got all these mutual funds. You know, the market's up like 15%, but I'm only making three mm. because, of all, you know, because of all the fees that they take and stuff like that. These guys are crazy. So we've been able to get people away from IRA, uh, typical IRA providers like Vanguard and uh, Fidelity, those guys, to get them to take it away from those accounts and move it over to a self-directed IRA custodian. And I can give them great returns on the money by just lending me the money. IRAs are a great place to lend because be a loan itself is taxable, right? Remember the deal we we're talking about before, Kiro, uh, Kiro yep. about the um, right, you know, one year and a day, right? Well, that's all you know, short-term, long-term cap gains, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody lends you money out of their own pocket, that is a concern. If you lend money out of an IRA, it's all in a little in a little tax bubble. They don't have to realize any of that. And to go further, if they lend you 500k out of their retirement account. You pay them ten percent interest. They got five fifty, and it's five fifty untaxed that they can now give you back to yeah. your for your next deal, right? They can keep cycling that interest back to you. It's crazy how quickly it grows. That's pretty wicked. So the, yeah. the so the point of the private money is to be able to to, to get rid of that collateralization issue of the second position. So you can yeah. 
So then you're basically well, getting someone in as an investor versus collateral. I've done deals. I also, I don't pay, uh, I, I, my investors trust my operations and trust what we do. So I rarely use hard money. I'll just use a, a hard a private lender. Yeah. So to go back to you, John, is that like, okay, you got that deal for 500K. Maybe it's okay to use hard money on it, but your mortgage banker friend, like that's, that's maybe willing to bank that deal. I'd be willing to bet you could get them to take a lot less than 12 plus three, which is what a hard money lender is going to want, right? Yeah. When I was doing a lot of this, my private lenders were taking eight, nine, 10%. And some of them that had IRA accounts, believe it or not, were okay because they trusted me and that I always did them right and I always have. They were okay with the deferring the interest until mm. the end of the deal. Show me one hard money lender okay with that. Yeah, you, know? you got to pay monthly. Yeah. I don't pay them anything until the deal sells. When the deal sells, I give them a lump sum of, hey, here's six and a half months worth of interest. Here's all your principal back. Here's everything all in. And I didn't have to pay anything during the light, during the hold cycle of the deal. Yeah. You can't get any hard money lender to be okay with that. But a somebody with an IRA would certainly be okay with that. Yeah. What was your first deal like for the, the like private money? I, it's, uh, it was a guy my wife went to college with. Aside from like friends, like immediate family, like 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 literally my parents, my wife's parents, uh, like they were our initial seed capital yeah. uh, for a couple of deals. But beyond them, somebody that I wasn't related to, uh, it was a guy my wife went to college with, and she was just talking to him about what we do, and he was like, "Real estate investing. That sounds so interesting. I wish I could do that too. I just don't have the time." Right. And she said, you should talk to my husband. And so this guy's a stock trader up in New York city. So I took the train up to New York and sat down with this guy and over coffee, he was just like, well, what if I gave you 50 K? And I'm like, that's a good question. What if you did give me 50 K? Right. And he's like, well, find a deal that would, that 50 K, you know, could, would, would make a difference in and we'll do it. And I went out and found a deal to go buy a really dilapidated bank foreclosed property. And he and I made it work and we've renovated it. And then it, and then it was like a little, it was with an investor, you know, Burr deal. Even though I said, don't do that. We ended up doing it in the beginning. And you know, the reason why is because we ended up cutting up like a couple hundred dollars in profit at the end of the month, but it was a good place to start. Yeah. And then we scaled out real quickly from there. Cause this New York stock trader had a bunch of other New York friends that wanted to make money somewhere else. So before you know it, He's throwing a bunch of his New York friends on the train and bringing them down to Trenton where I was operating in Trenton, New Jersey. So I'm doing the windshield tour, these New York, uh, New York guys around Trenton showing them opportunities. Yeah. Um, and we that that was our first couple of deals right there. And then me and him like did a lot of deals together. That's pretty awesome. That's smart as hell. So you're getting, <laughs> by tapping into one network, you got into a whole kind of area. Yeah. Yeah, and then then that built a track record. And yeah. then the next time another investor shows up and says, hey, I want to do something with you guys, we were able to we were able to point to that track record and then just that one deal tends to beget more right yeah. it tends to turn more over and then this works and that works and hey that works let's try it. you know and we, we also were able to tackle bigger and bigger so first couple deals single family home beaters next couple deals small mixed use properties next deal beyond that 10 unit apartment building Next, you'll be on that 18 unit. And then yeah. it started to scale from there. And you built more track record. They all start telling their friends about it. They all get back into your next deal and your their friends do. And before you know it, you know, more and more people are showing up because you're you've been smart about it. You're broadcasting what you're doing on some sort of a media channel and um and that. So before you know it, we were able to you know, scale up and use that track record for um uh, and, and just pointing to that the whole time. Yeah. To point it to our track record of history. 
That's pretty smart. If you had a, a car, apartment complex, let's say, you know, cost you 10 million bucks to get an apartment complex and all the numbers made sense, let's just say it's the, the cap checks out to what it would be, the debt service ratio would be there um, for it to get financing. How would you raise that 30% down that you would need to get the, uh, the loan, the commercial loan on the property for something that big? Okay, guys, so here's the deal. Start here. Start with telling your investors why real estate investing is amazing. Let's start there, right? They might not realize that. They might not realize that it's A, legal, or that they can do a lot of the things that we are already do. We already talked about that. Realtors don't realize it. So why would your investors realize it either? So just be an educator first. Secondly, I believe that uh, a good syndicator that's buying that $10 million apartment building has researched the market and is very clear as to why the market they're investing in is the best, why the market that they're that they're choosing is the one that they that, that is a good one for them to, to get good returns for their investors out of. So then tell your investors why that market. So again, why real estate investing? Why that market, right? Now, why you? Why my company? Why your company? What's my track record? Why am I not going to? How am I not going to steal their money? How are they protected? Uh, why should they trust us as real estate investors? All that stuff. Yeah. Then go there. Then why that deal? Right. But so many syndicators out there start with why that deal? Oh, because it's a hundred unit apartment building and it's going to produce a great return. Hey, guys, not for nothing. You, you're never. You got, now I know you guys are from Jersey, so I can say not for nothing, right? But not for nothing, like. You could take the best deal ever, and it could it could be a complete mess with the wrong operator, wrong business plan, wrong whatever. Right? The deal itself actually means the least. And uh, there's an old adage, right? You can't change a market. You can only hope to participate in it. Mm. So if I'm buying a hundred unit apartment building that's got good fundamentals, but it's in like downtown Detroit, you know, good luck. It, it, I'd, I'd, it'd be nice if it were up and up by you in Hudson County or something like that. You know, yeah. um, those are thriving market. That's a thriving market. So all those things matter. That's how I would start with talking to investors about my that you know ten million dollar apartment building deal yeah. is answering those questions in that order. Yeah, that's so true because when I got the deal in front of me and, and I was approaching people, I was like sharing details of the deal. Yeah. And when you're sharing details of the deal, they're like, "But how come you're getting that much equity?" And then I'm like because I only need 30% to get the loan. <laughs> and then they're like, well, yeah, yeah. shouldn't the, and then they start getting into this, like the the, 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 whatever the weeds of it. And it started becoming less of an attractive deal. The because they didn't that, get it. Yeah. Because they didn't get how this thing works first. Right. And so I try and educate my investors on, hey, hey, let's start here. This is what a syndication is. This is how much work you're going to put in zero. Mm -hmm. This is how more, much work I'm going to put in all the rest. This is how much money you're going to put in. This is how much I'm going to put in. And this is, this is how all this works out. This is how my compensation plan works. This is the fees that we take. This is the carve out. This is my success equity that I get. This is what, this is why real estate investing overall. This is what tax losses look like. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't realize how much money you can show the IRS you lost, even though you didn't actually lose any money. Mm. You can show the IRS you lost a lot of money through depreciation um, in real estate investing. Well, yeah. yeah, they don't realize that. They don't realize how all that works. So that's why the real estate investing conversation needs to happen first. So people get excited about it. And the whole thing about how much you're making and how much that you're going to get and how much you're going to get, it doesn't even play. Yeah. So like Grant Cardone, what he's done is probably one of the smartest things, right? He built a massive, what do you say, following that he was basically crowdfunding from. As soon as crowdfunding yeah. became legal through like online platforms, he was doing it right, and then basically yeah, getting, he was so, the first ones. He was yeah. the he was the he was one of the early uh, early early pioneers. Adopters. 
Yeah. Yeah. Early adopter. That's the word I was searching for. Yeah. And then now he's <laughs> now he's managing three point three million dollars of the real estate by doing that. Yeah. 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 And that's and that's because he started by teaching first. You know, um, regardless of you think you Grant Cardone, he started by teaching people why real estate investing is amazing as the first conversation, not mm -hmm. why the markets he invests in, not even why his company is the best to invest with. Whatever it is, this is why you need real estate in your portfolio. That was the question he was answering. Yeah. No, that's that's a really good point. So a new person that's coming in, if they're hesitant to jump into the market or participate, like you're saying, especially like yeah. if you're a realtor and you have an opportunity in front of you, the first thing is having conversations with people now about why they should be getting involved in real estate and why yeah. they should be trusting to work with you if there was an opportunity that arise. I would say for anybody listening to this that has not gotten into the game yet, or even a realtor, whatever it is, is looking to get more attention to either attract more real estate investor clients like us or to attract more real estate investor people to passively invest with them whatever it is have a conversation with your followers on social media or with with your friends whatever it is about real estate investing make sure they know that you're researching it you're listening to great podcasts like this about it and you're in the know you're getting into the circle of real estate investing and you want to be the person that they know of that's a real estate investing, I hate to use the word expert, you know, but somebody who's who's learning a lot about it, right? And you do this social media posts about real estate investing articles that you read or real estate investing ventures that you're on or whatever it is. Don't be posting deals all the time. That's that's shouting at people. Post articles you found, post things that you're learning on your journey of real estate investing, right? And then what you're really doing is by just raising your hand to your market saying, Hey, I'm investing. Hey, I'm investing. Hey, I'm investing in real estate. And then when something comes up that they either come into some money or they realize they need a different way or they have a lead for you about real estate investing, they're going to come to you and say, Hey, don't you invest in real estate? Yeah. Like, yeah. How did you remember? You know, because you're telling, you've been telling them directly and indirectly through your social feed, you know, or, or through, through one-on-one -on -one conversations. So begin those conversations as early as you can with your market, you know, with, with, uh, with, with those that follow you. I, I think that's extremely yeah. valuable and that's so true. That literally yeah. happened to me yesterday, no joke. A buddy of mine that, not an acquaintance, he called me and he was just like, hey man, do you deal with commercial? Because I have this lot that my dad owns and he wants to sell it and it's 22,000 square feet and we just want to sell the business that's on it and sell the, the thing. I'm like, do you know you could develop that land? He's like, wait, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. oh, this is interesting. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's it's awesome. funny when people when people view you as someone who knows more than they do about a specific topic. It is crazy what people will call you with. You have the level of opportunity that you become exposed to by being the one person in their phone book that knows about investments, real estate, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah you get some crazy phone calls. You know, I had a phone call the other day from a woman that's facing an enormous legal settlement, right? Um, and she knew I knew a lot about real estate investing, so she's like, "Hey, let me." give him a call. Like, you know, what can I do with this? You know, I'm like, that's a lot of money. Let's have a conversation, you know? And I wasn't going to say, give it all to me, but now I'm at the helm of helping her find a way to place this capital. Of course, I'm going to see some of it, but that's an interesting call that I might not have gotten had her, had she not known that I know about alternative investments you can make. Yeah. No, that's perfect. Um, How would you say that you two connected? Was it through social? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, she knows what I, I put myself out there a lot. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. Uh, and I've been, and I've been doing it for a while. So I got my family's calling me up about stuff. Like my, my sister's calling me to help me to help them, you know, build a PIA, like a personal financial statement, you know, and everything like that. So I, I've, I've become the guy that people know in their network that knows a lot about this kind of thing. So I'm constantly consulting with friends and family about what, whatever financial matters or just buying a rental property in a local community, whatever it is. Yeah. Just cause I've been doing it for a while. Sweet, man. Well, if you guys like what you're hearing, I'm going to suggest buying the Raising Private Capital. We'll put the link down below and the Amazon link for you guys as well. Matt, what's the best way for someone to reach out, collaborate? If they want more proximity, what should they do? Yeah. We do a lot of um, a lot of working with passive investors. If you guys want to make a great return on your money without do without lifting a finger, and you're an accredited investor, you can hear about investments that we have on our website, which is Derosa D E R O S A Derosa Group You can also hear about really great education products we have on that website as well under our educations tab at Derosa Group Sweet. Matt, thank you so much for jumping on. We're going to definitely do a part two because you are in Jersey, so this is going to be easy. Uh, I'm doing a face trade. Hell yeah. We'll do that and then we'll be good to go. Cool. I'll be I'll be there in person. I'll bring the bourbon. We'll have some fun. Okay? That'd actually that's, be pretty that's good. That's usually how we roll, especially when we record <laughs> no on problems. I just was shooting that cool studio right there with the brick wall and all that. I'd, I'll, I'll take care of the rest. We'll have some fun. All right. Awesome. Um, this has been a great conversation, guys. Thanks for having me on the show.